Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy, and we thank you for uh, your word that uh, we can just sit here today, Lord, freely. Uh, freely being able to read your word and to worship you and to fellowship. Lord, help us not to take those things for granted. Uh, help us just to receive these things as just a part of your grace. And we ask that you would just do a work in our hearts today, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, if you don't mind. So, um, you may know we go through kind of an Old Testament book and then a New Testament book and then kind of go back and forth. We just finished 1 Thessalonians and we're going to go back to Ezekiel, but... Honestly, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians kind of go together, so I'm thinking of them as a unit. So we're going to do 2nd Thessalonians and then go to Ezekiel. Is that okay? Thanks. It's pretty agreeable to uh, decisions that have already been made, so I really appreciate that. So um, 2nd Thessalonians chapter 1, it's a short chapter, just 12 verses. Um, But I think there's, if we kind of... Break it down a little bit slowly. I think it's uh, got some great insights for us. So, as you may recall, when we talked about First um, Thessalonians, on Paul's second missionary journey, he's journeying with Silas and Timothy. Uh, they go to Philippi. They wind up uh, getting beaten and arrested and in jail and or in a prison. And uh, God miraculously releases them from prison. They then go to Thessalonica and then to Berea, and then to Athens. And uh, it's a little hard to trace from the different sources, but it would appear that in Athens, uh, Paul sends Timothy and Silas back to Thessalonica, and then they meet up in Corinth. Keep in mind, they were only in Thessalonica for three weeks. Three weeks before they basically got run out of town. And so um, that's significant. So three weeks, they teach, they, and a church is established from a three-week uh, sort of missionary trip there to Thessalonica. And anyway, so Paul's kind of concerned about, you know, hey, we were only there three weeks. I wonder how they're doing. That's why he sends Paul, uh, Timothy and Silas back. And then they meet up in Corinth. Paul writes the first letter, First uh, Thessalonians. He writes that from Corinth. And then most people say just a few months later, uh, maybe he got word, maybe when they came back after bringing that, after delivering the first letter, they came back with maybe a little more questions. And so the second letter is basically a follow-up written still from Corinth just a few months later. All right. So think of this letter as a bit of a, as a bit of a follow-up sort of PS sort of clarification of some of the ideas in, in First Thessalonians. All right. And so... Uh, in chapter 1, we're going to read today, Paul's basically encouraging the believers in their faith. Chapter 2, he's going to clear up some further details about the return of Jesus. Uh, and as you recall from, from 1 Thessalonians, a good bit of that book was about uh, the second coming of Christ and some of the order of things. Um, and then in chapter 3, he just gives some final exhortations to, to this young church. So, 
that's kind of our groundwork. Everybody got the groundwork? Okay. Paul, Silvanus, which is another name for Silas, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so all three of these guys are together. Uh, they're writing it basically together. Obviously, Paul is kind of the main spokesman. And they're writing from Corinth. They're writing to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what denomination is that church? Well, we've got to know. You've got to know, right? Because when somebody, like, you know, if I see somebody in my office, this is, how, this is how it usually goes, right? I see somebody in my office, usually, you know, there's a conversation going on. Uh, it's been with some of you guys on occasion. And, uh, you know, the conversation goes a little spiritual, right? So that's an open door in my book, right? Is that fair? That's all you got? It's fair. It's extremely fair. So it's more than fair. It's beyond fair. It's off the charts fair. So uh, they open it. The, they crack the door open a little bit. So I say something like, it's where you go to church. Is that offensive? No. If I'm not careful, when I say, where do you go to church, what am I really asking? I'm kind of asking, what, Diane, what, what's, your, what's your bent? right? What's your bent? I might say, or they might say, oh, I go to XYZ church. Oh, I know the pastor. That's, I, I love that guy, right? You know, so it'd be conversation. But, but sometimes if we're not careful, we, have you noticed, we tend to be, uh, I heard some guy say one time, lumpers and splitters, right? You know, lumpers and splitters are originally, if, if that term resonates with you. All right, so I'll tell you the rest of you, what lumpers and splitters are. Now, there's lumpers, right? If I tell you, I've said this before, obviously most of you didn't remember it or hear it. <laughs> if I tell you that uh, my wife and I had nine kids and we homeschooled them. Oh. <laughs> One of them. One of them, right? So I say, no, that's not what you think. We had nine kids, homeschooled them, and, and live in rural Indiana. <laughs> yep, I knew it. I knew it. Live in the country. Uh, say no more. Say no more. Bet you drink unpasteurized goat milk. <laughs> to which I say, we got rid of that goat. <laughs> so you're wrong right? We're lumpers and splitters, right? If I tell you that I'm this kind of, I go to this church, we tend to attach, and, and if you notice, I, I hope you catch by this time, I go out of my way to avoid any theological labels, okay? Because if I throw out a theological label, what I'm, what I'm inviting you to do is I'm inviting you to, to attach all your preconceived uh, ideas to that label. Does that make sense? And so I don't, want to, I don't want myself or anybody else to attach that. You ever notice politically? I hope I, I'm on dangerous ground. I know it. If you call yourself a conservative, 
then there's about 50 things that I could, in my mind, attach to you as you call yourself conservative. And if, I call, and if you call yourself a liberal, there's about 50 things that people tend to attach. Honestly, in my mind, like for me personally, there's some things I, there's some, there's some political views that I hold that you might think are contrary to what, to the, the package that I'm supposed to believe. Does that make sense? It's like, who believes all of them one way or the other? Well, probably nobody, but we tend to lump and split. Is that fair? Splitters just means it's kind of the opposite of lumping, right? So by now you get the idea, right? So if you say, you know, we live in the city. Oh, well, you're not a not homeschooler with nine kids. Loser, right? So stuff like that, right? That's splitting, right? We don't do that. But anyway, I like that this is the church of, Thessal- of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the church established by God without the denominational label. And by the way, when we get to heaven... You think there's going to be a Baptist section and a Pentecostal section? I don't think so. I don't think so. So, now's a good time to get used to it. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this. Love this. I always love to go off on this. So, grace and peace always, always, always are at the beginning of Paul's letters. Grace and peace, they always go hand in hand, and they're always in that order. That's not an accident, right? Why is that? Because you cannot have peace without grace. You cannot have peace through political means. You cannot have peace through social change. You cannot have peace through any means except grace. Now, I have to kind of clarify this a little bit. This, I I believe... Paul is speaking here of a personal peace, not necessarily like world peace. Because keep in mind, we're talking about Thessalonica, right? Paul was driven out of Thessalonica after three weeks, right? Now, I've never read a biography of Paul's life that said he was a wimp or uh, cowardly or the kind of guy that would just duck out of town at the first sign of trouble. Is that fair? But something made Paul leave town after three weeks. That gets my attention. So there wasn't necessarily peace in Thessalonica, but Paul is praying grace to you and peace. It's a greeting. He wants us to have peace. So it's possible for us as human beings, as individual human beings, as the body of Christ, human beings, to experience peace even if the world is not experiencing peace. And that's frankly a a description of our day right? We can have peace. We can experience peace in a world that doesn't know peace. Why? Because of grace and grace alone. I have to tell you a story. I was thinking about this yesterday. So yesterday, um, I was working on a fence, a garden fence, um, I defy a rabbit to now try to get inside our garden. It will not happen. It will not happen. No rabbit in our fence. No rabbit in our fence eating strawberry plants down to the last millimeter. But that's another story. I'm not bitter about those cute rabbits. 
And my daughters who say, oh, they're so cute running around our garden eating our tomatoes. But anyway, so I was working on a fence yesterday. And it's kind of this, you ever have these jobs where it's kind of like a one-man job. So it's like I couldn't, you know, it's not like, you know, I could, you know, engage other people. And so long story short, I'm just kind of doing, sitting there, you know, basically all afternoon, um, kind of working on this fence. And when you do that, you ever get, so, like, you ever get a song stuck in your head? While you're doing kind of maybe somewhat monotonous work and, you know, it's kind of brainless work. Well, you ever get a figure speech or a phrase stuck in your head? Check this out. This, this is, I'd start to say this is a weird thing. It's not weird. There's nothing weird about it. This phrase kept going through my head. I've heard it said recently. I forget. I've heard it said over the years, but I've heard it, more, I've heard it spoken recently. If not for grace, there go I. Anybody heard that figure speech? If not for grace, there go I. It's kind of a, and I even tried to Google who's that originally attributed to and couldn't figure that out. But anyway, it's something that people say sometimes. And this phrase comes in my head. Working on my fence. I'm zip tying rabbit fencing into the other fence. If not for grace, there go I. I bet it came in my head 500 times. And over the period of about three or four hours. And for the first, and then when you have thoughts stuck in your head, do you ever have a conversation with yourself? It's okay to admit it. There's medicine for that, but it's okay to admit it here. Right? So I'm having this conversation with myself. If not for grace, there go I. And first my conversation goes like that because I just told you that I'm a denominational lumper and splitter. I confess to that, right? So some of you know where I'm going with this. I, in my mind, I was like, why can't those old English theologians get the order right? It's supposed to be like something like, that would be me, instead of, there go I. Why do you have to be like flowery about it? You ever do this? This is while I'm doing fencing. If not for the grace of God, there go I. Why do they have to talk like that? So of my three or four hours, my first hour is like, why do they have to talk like that? And then after about an hour or two of that, now I'm identifying this as the voice of the Holy Spirit, says, I'm talking to you. I'm not talking theology. I'm talking to you. And I'm like, wow. That's now a responsibility, right? Because I now have what I believe is the Lord speaking to my heart something that seems like maybe it's personal. Is that fair? Does the Lord do stuff like this? Yeah. Now, to be fair, he doesn't do it to me like this all the time, but I believe there are times that he does when I need to hear, when I need to hear a message. 
And then I think through, okay, so if not for grace, there go I. First of all, get beyond your pompous uh, uh, ridicule of old English theologians and learn how to take it. And as I learn how to take it, I think, <clears throat> you know, I think of myself as a pretty, pretty put-together pr- kind of person. Raise if you think you're of yourself as a pretty put-together kind of person once in a while, if you're honest. Yep. Raise your hand if you th- ever think that your opinions are pretty important. Like, your opinions are the ones that matter. Right? Raise your hand if, you've, if there's anybody on planet Earth that bugs you. Raise your hand if you think there's anybody on planet Earth that's less insightful than you, or less spiritual than you, or less wise than you. If not for grace. And let's, let's assume that those are even true. Let's assume that you are more wise and more spiritual and more insightful than the other guy or than all the other people in the world. Why is that? Only by the grace of God. Now, I needed to know that. So the Lord gave me that rabbit fencing job to learn it. Right? Only by the grace of God are we anybody. Only by the grace of God are we anything other than, I'll just, because it's timely, only by the grace of God are we anything other than a mass murderer. Right? Only by the grace of God are we anything or anyone better than anybody else. And even better is like hugely taken out of context. Does that make sense? Now, if we all understood that, if we all understood that we are who we are only by the grace of God, would we be pompous? Would we be a jerk? How would our relationships roll? Maybe a little better? Right? So grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This grace is a journey. It's an experiential journey. You know, uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians, it's by grace that we've been saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Right? We all experience the grace of God for salvation, but the grace of God is that process by which we journey with God day in and day out as His grace uh, makes us more like Jesus, as His grace makes us more humble, as His grace makes us less of a jerk, as His grace gives us insight into all that, and guess what comes after the, as a result of all that? Grace and peace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. 
Now, I love this, and just as we kind of march through this chapter one, basically there's a lot of stuff like this. He's just talking to these guys, trying to encourage them in, I kind of like what Tracy said about the book, kind of encouraging them in who they are in Christ. Who are we? We're, we're people, recipients of his grace and his peace. We're the, we're the church without denominational baggage or, or even without non-denominational baggage. Now he says, we're bound to thank God always for you. The bound word mean, in Greek means under obligation. Paul is obligated to be thankful for these people. And I believe it's fitting that we be thankful for one another. Can I tell you this? Don't take your church family for granted. Don't take the body of Christ for granted. We'll pick each other apart a lot less if we don't take each other for granted. He says also, we thank God always for you because your faith grows exceedingly. Again, this church is, Paul was in Thessalonica for three weeks he gets word back that their faith is growing exceedingly. Would you like that to be said of us? That our faith grows exceedingly? Well, how does our faith grow? How does our faith grow? One, I believe, there's probably lots of reasons. One, there's two that I thought of. One is by use. Have you ever noticed that if God says do something and you do it, whether it be on his word or whether, like, you know, if he speaks to my heart, if not for grace, there go I, right? I'm not going to mock old English theologians anymore, right? If we walk in the grace and if we walk in faith, like God says, do this. You know, God's word, let's say, it might say to lead us a certain way. And we do that and we experience Oh yeah, the Bible works. Oh yeah, doing what the Bible says works for life. Then we experience that. What does that do to our faith? I believe it grows our faith. What else grows our faith? The Word, right? Romans ten seventeen says that, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Reading and knowing and meditating on the Word of God will grow our faith. Every year, at the end of the year, I hold up this thing, right? One of these. Through the Bible in a year, right? And usually my spiel goes something like this. Honestly, in the body of Christ over the years, and again, I'm not, you know, if not for grace, there go I. But honestly... By the grace of God, Trace and I stumbled into a church in 1992 where the pastor stood up and said, his had a little coffee cup instead of uh, sunflowers on it, but it basically held up one of these. He said, you know what? Everybody ought to re every Christian should read through the Bible in a year. Here's a simple plan to do it. By the grace of God, we went into that church Honestly, we went in that church with all the wrong expectations. We went there because some friends invited us there. And we wanted to, they are kind of bugging us about it. And, you know, we'd gone to another church and we knew we were, you know, we were looking to go somewhere. And we went there basically so they quit bugging us, right? 
Our lives are never the same. We've never looked back, right? But, but at the end of that first year, the pastor stands up and says, you should all read through the Bible in a year, right? Is there anything insightful that I came up with? Not at all. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. This guy would say that all the time. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's how we grow our faith, by the Word, by exercising our faith. And he said also here in verse 3 that your love, the love of every one of you also abounds toward each other. This is also by exercise. We give and receive love, and as we do that, our love grows. Our love for God and for one another should never be stagnant. So that we ourselves, verse 4, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. So Paul is using these guys as an example to encourage other churches. Where did I say Paul's writing from? Corinth. What do we know about the church in Corinth if we read 1 Corinthians? Are they a, a rock are they a rock and roll church? Are they are they are they nailing it on all cylinders? Or do they have major issues? Major issues. Major issues. And by the way, I think I've said this recently. If Paul thought maybe he was an awesome church planner, he was in Thessalonica for three weeks. He was in Corinth for a year and a half, right? It's not all because of Paul. Thessalonica was an awesome church. Corinth was a church with tons of issues, right? And so Paul is able to sort of boast to other churches. No doubt he's probably boasting to the Corinthian church where he's writing from. Hey, why don't you guys like get it together like the Thessalonians? And so, you know, other people, people in the body of Christ can be an encouragement to other churches, and so that's good. Keep in mind, again, Paul was kicked out after three weeks. So no doubt the troublemakers were still around in Thessalonica, right? Because he says, in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. I like this. If you think about this, patience in faith and persecutions and tribulations. Patience, in faith, of, patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations. I think patience thinks, I would maybe paraphrase that to say, waiting. You okay waiting on the Lord? Is it okay to wait on the Lord? Does it feel good to wait on the Lord? Kind of satisfy your flesh a little bit to wait on the Lord. Make you feel warm and fuzzy, well-fed and cared for to wait on the Lord? Or is it hard to wait on the Lord? It's hard to wait on the Lord. And what are we waiting for in faith? We're waiting for God to work out His way in His timing, His will. God's will, God's way, and God's timing. Have you ever noticed this? You might say, oh, I know what God wants to do in that situation. What we ought to do is get a committee together and fix it and make it happen raise some money, we'll get this thing together, we'll get it going now, right? That might be God's will, but it's likely not God's way or God's timing, right? And it is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to be able to wait in faith for God to do what God wants to do. Now, are we responsible people, right? If, you know, 
We're standing on a train track and we hear, right? Don't wait on God to like stop the train, right? Get off the track. I mean, there's some, you know, you could take, I feel like I have to disclaimer everything I say, but cause some people are, oh, never mind. Cause, see, because if not for grace, that would be me. But anyway. There's something to be said for patiently waiting while faithfully standing on the Word of God, waiting for God to do something that we think He ought to do and do it in His way, in His time, and not trying to fix it and help God all along the way. That's what it means to, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. I think it's a great model for us. These Thessalonians, these young, these young Christians are a great model for us. Verse 5, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. And so what do we know here? When, when we live with this kind of patience and faith, especially in the midst of tribulation, we demonstrate the power of God in our lives, Right? We demonstrate the power of God in our lives when we endure difficulty. When we endure difficulty, sometimes we go through life just wanting to get rid of all the difficulty. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I thought, yeah, when I grow up, I won't have parents tell me what to do. Right? What to eat. Right? How to eat healthy. Ask my kids. When they grow up, they're on their own, right? No more mandated kale in their home, right? No, we don't have mandated kale. But when I was a kid, I thought, when I grew up, I'm going to call the shots. Is that how it works? No. God allows challenge to come into my life even now, right? I always had this feeling like there's going to be some destination at some point at which time life just chills. Anybody there yet? And uh, you, know, you, know, you know what I mean? Because it's always this elusive thing. Like, you know, when I graduate from school, then I'm done. Life chills. Oh, no, maybe not. Okay, maybe then uh, when the kids, you know, when I get, when I get married, everything's going to chill, Right? All right, when I learn about marriage, then everything will get, after I get married, then everything <laughs> will chill, right? All right, well, when we get the kids raised, then everything will chill, right? There's no such thing, right? And those are all, and here's the, here's the kicker, those are all good things. Those are all good things as the Lord allows us to go through the challenges of life, our goal is not to avoid them or to buy them off, right? Like it's just another insurance policy. You know, you buy, a, you buy insurance in case your house burns down. You buy insurance in case your car crashes. You know, we'd like to buy insurance that insures us against all of life's challenges, right? You could sell that policy, right? But God wants us to endure that because what that what's that do that manifests 
evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. So when we do go through difficulties, number one, God carries us through those difficulties. That's exercising our faith. And number two, God is glorified as the one that carries us through those. Right? You read about people like Corey Ten Boom, right? That she could maintain her, her resolve through the Holocaust. You, you can only conclude that that's a miraculous work of God. And so, I mean, we don't go through that, but on a much smaller scale, we go through stuff. Since it is a righteous thing with God, verse 6, to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And so there's a reality that God is ultimately going to administer justice, either when Jesus is, re is revealed from heaven, which is, I believe, a reference to the rapture of the church, or when we die, right? My dad, I believe, is in heaven. You think he's worried about nothing? nothing thank you. Think he's worried about political unrest? You know, the great mystery is, is the right correct or is the left correct, right? And there's all this social dialogue that seems so polarized, right? Uh, is this person correct or is this person correct? And everybody that, that follows them, and oh, if, if, if these guys could only figure out what these guys are trying to tell them, and if these guys could only figure out what these guys are trying to tell them, then the world would be utopian, right? Do you think my dad's thinking that? Aha! Finally figured it out. No. No. God's going to administer justice, and he'll do it in his way and in his time, and our job is to be patient in the meantime. Verse 8, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Now, those are hard words. But the reality is, hell is real. We would do a disservice to teach anything other than hell is real. Because guess what? It's real. And if we don't warn from the Word of God that hell is real, then we're doing a disservice, right? So, I mean, it doesn't, you know, again, when I was a kid, you know, I didn't want to go to hell. So, how do I do that? I, you know, pray. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray my Lord, the soul, my soul to keep. You guys know that one? I won't say it all. It'll get stuck in your head. So, but I didn't want to go to hell. And so, I wanted to go to heaven. So, you know, I'm like, I want to be a Christian. But how much more as we grow in the Lord, that's not our primary motivator, obviously. It's the grace of God that motivates us. It's the grace, grace of God that, that makes us want to be like Him and want to be with Him and want to have fellowship with Him and, and all of that. But the reality is that hell is real. Notice also here, he says, these shall be punished, verse 9, with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of of his power. It also says that in, he's going to take vengeance with flaming fire. Now, I personally believe, this is just my understanding, none of us really understand fully what heaven will be like, and none of us understand fully what hell will be like, right? But there's references to fire in hell. 
And we always think, wow, that just seems so terrible. Well, you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Did they go through fire? Was it no big deal? The fire was no big deal for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they came out of that fire, it says you couldn't even smell fire on their hair, right? If you've been around a campfire, if you're around a campfire this morning and you walk in here, we could all tell you've been around a campfire, right? When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of that fiery furnace, they didn't even smell like fire. It had no touch on them, right? But what else was, was in that fire? Jesus was in that fire. I believe the greatest punishment of hell will be these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. I believe the great torture in hell, if I could say it that way, is that God won't be there. And nothing about God is going to be there. Which, if you wind out that logic, I don't, I don't think, I mean, yeah, there's references to fire and all that. I think fire will be there. But I think the true torture of hell will be the absence of God. Now, if you think about it, what does our godless world want right now? They want the absence of God. What's the most annoying thing to the godless world right now? The body of Christ. The body of Christ is annoying to them. Right? Sometimes God gives us what we ask for. And I believe the day will come, again, in the context of First and Second Thessalonians, I believe the day will come when the rapture of the church removes Christians from planet Earth. We meet Jesus in the air. We talked about this, I believe, two weeks ago. Yeah, chapter 4. We talked about this two weeks ago. Jesus will meet us in the air. The church is gone. And as Jesus said there in Matthew, I believe, 24, he said it's going to be like, you know, the days of Noah. Everybody's going to be eating and drinking. And then all of a sudden, two guys are going to be out in the field, you know, working in their wheat field. One of them's going to be gone and the other one's still there. That's what it's going to be like. And the world will know what it's like to experience planet Earth without the body of Christ there. Those annoying Christians that have been bugging them for so long. Right? And it won't be pretty. But even at that, God will continue to reach out to those that, are, that remain. Many will be saved. Particularly many Jewish people will be saved. And even at that, it's like that absence of the church is going to be a taste of life without God. It's really God's grace extended during the Great Tribulation. God is going to give planet Earth a taste, a small taste of hell. And we call it the Great Tribulation because the church will be gone. All of the, all of the pieces of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us, if you will, will be gone. He who re- will, will get, that's in chapter 2. I don't want to give chapter 2 away, but that's all in chapter 2, Right? And so there is everlasting punishment, but I think the problem, I think the big punishment is not so much going to be the fire, but it's going to be the absence of God. 
I want to just highlight also in verse 8 here, he says, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. That's a little bit of a, um, of a difficult translation. Um, but I think sometimes um, that can, um, well, let me just say this. The, the Greek word really means rendering justice. It's not like God's just waiting for an opportunity to, you know, to beat on people and to punish people. No, God's just administering justice. And uh, as we talked about before the last couple of weeks, the wrath of God is different than the wrath of man. The wrath of God is God administering justice. It's not like God's emotional about it. He's just administering justice. And so, because um, he is just, it's one of his attributes, then that's, that's reality. Verse 10, when he comes in that day, to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. And so in that day, I believe, again, as a, as a reference to the rapture of the church, Jesus will be glorified in his saints. He'll be admired among all those who believe. And um, that's when Christians will be removed from the earth. Verse 11. Therefore. Always watch the therefores in these prophetic chapters, Right? Because Paul is writing to human beings in a church, right, at a specific point in time, who are living life, just like us, right? He's talking about things to come, but therefore, in the context, uh, therefore, what is Paul doing? Therefore, we always pray, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. So you've got to like this. He pr- what's he pray? Number one, that God would count them worthy. And again, grace and peace. If not for grace, there go I. Right? How do we become worthy of even approaching God, much less spending eternity with him? Only by God's grace. Only by God's grace. There is nothing anyone can do to earn favor with God. There is nothing anyone can do to earn favor with God. We are saved by grace. Ephesians chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, By grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast, me or anyone else. We're saved by grace. We're born into sin. Romans chapter 6. The wages of sin is death. We're all sinners. There's no one righteous. No, not one. Romans 3. No one is righteous. No, not one. We're all sinners. And we all, when you work, what do you get? You get a wage. The wages of sin, sin is our work. The wages of sin is death, eternal death. But the gift is, 
Is a gift something you earn? No. The gift is contrasted with the wage. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through being good and doing all the right stuff. No. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We should all keep that in mind. And so, he says, therefore we pray also, we, always, we also pray always for you that God would count you worthy of this calling by his grace. And that he would fulfill the good pleasure of his goodness. So the good pleasure of his goodness in our lives is his workmanship. It goes on in Ephesians chapter 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God not only saves us, but he makes us into his special treasure. Right? He conforms us into his image. He's doing that work throughout. It's kind of like what I described earlier about the grace of God in our lives to the point of death. He is doing that work, that, that work of, of workmanship in us. And, verse 11, the work of faith with power. He's demonstrating in us the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, that word power is the word dunamis from which we get our word dynamite. The power of the Holy Spirit to help us live according to God's word is very powerful. Verse 12, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the purpose of this life is that Jesus may be glorified in our lives and that we can learn to demonstrate the grace of Jesus in our lives. I would encourage you to read back over this chapter because this is one of those chapters that there's nothing really new or like, whoa, crazy, insightful. But there is something beautifully foundational about this chapter. I love even that he closes this wor- this, with, this, with this last verse. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. What higher purpose, what greater purpose could you have in this life? Well, I'd like to be this. I'd like to be that. I'd like to accomplish this. I'd like to, I got a bucket list, right? Raise your hand if you have a bucket list. My bucket list is to do whatever God wants me to do. I don't even know what it is, right? Our highest thing, really the sum total of if there's a bucket list, the highest, the highest thing on that is to bring glory to Jesus Christ in our lives. But what, what could come close to that? What could come close to that? Would, would that Jesus would be glorified in my life and according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ, that I would recognize that it's by his grace. If not for grace, I'd be the worst of the worst. If not for grace, I'd be the worst of the worst. And I mean that. I read through the Bible in a year, right? 
Why do I read through the Bible in the year? Because I stumbled onto a church in 1992, and the pastor held up this thing, and I thought, you know, it seems reasonable. And I read through the Bible, and the Word cleanses me, and the Word does a thing in my heart that's only by the grace of God. And that ultimately, my desire, my greatest desire, is to glorify Him. So, probably not unlike the Thessalonians, we all have tribulations and difficulties that we go through. Right? I never, I mean, we have, uh, you've heard me say this before, I recognize the challenges that many of you go through. And we all go through challenges at various times, and we all go through, you know, seasons where maybe there's a little bit of a reprieve and there's seasons that are particularly difficult and there's challenges that are real and all of that and, and, and there's just no escaping them. That's called life. We all have those that we go through. But those are really opportunities to walk in faith and to love other people and to experience God's grace. And we can trust, patiently wait for God to work out justice for God to work out his will for all of us in his way and in his time. And as we walk in the spirit, we get to demonstrate the power of God working in our lives. It's really a good life. It's really a sweet privilege that we have to serve God. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you equip us and you empower us to live this life. We thank you that it's the grace of Jesus Christ that not only saves us, but sustains us and keeps us going and gives us purpose. And Lord, thank you that you do that work in us. Thank you that you desire to demonstrate your goodness in our lives. And Lord, we do ask that we would be faithful to just serve you wholeheartedly, to serve you as responsibly as we can, knowing yet that it's you that works in us, to will and to do for your good pleasure. So Lord, we ask that you just continue to do that work in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have an awesome, awesome week.